I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to encourage you, as uh, Brad shared earlier with you about our Vacation Bible School, please uh, covet to pray for Vacation Bible School. It's a, one of the greatest opportunities that we have to directly share the good news with people, families, certainly with kids. So please come and uh, join us in, in Vacation Bible School ministry. Uh, tomorrow afternoon at 5.30, uh, we plan on being here to do some information distribution uh, through some of our homes that we know, especially we have a list of several homes behind our church that have young children that would be Vacation Bible School age. So if you have some time, come through at 5.30. We'll prayer walk through the community. Uh, we'll visit some of these homes, pass out some of this information. There's some of these on the back table as well. If you have a place where you can put up a, a larger poster advertisement. Uh, there's some of those in the back. Please pick one of those up. Stick it on your workplace. Uh, there's some of these that are smaller. Pick up a few of those if you have a neighbor or someone in your family that you want to just get the information to. It's just a little brief information about Vacation Bible School. Take some of those with you as well and help us get the word out. If you use social media and you're able to note or tag our Vacation Bible School, Please do that. We'd appreciate that very much. Any way that we can get the word out that we're having Bible school, we'd appreciate it so very much. And you'll be a missionary in that sense when you get the word out and invite them to come and be a part of Vacation Bible School. So thank you, all of you who volunteered uh, and uh, those who are uh, planning on doing that. still not too late. So uh, please, please pray for Bible school. Turn your Bibles. If you would, this morning, the Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, God has really been challenging my heart and moving in my heart about what to share uh, over these next few weeks. I've been praying, Lord, please, you know Sunday's coming, uh, or what, what do you want me to share? That's what preachers do, right? Uh, when Monday happens, it's Sunday's coming, and, and so uh, we, we pray and seek God and Ask him, you know, Lord, what do you want said? What, what's your message for Sunday? Because uh, it's really useless if I preach him my message, but his message. And so uh, God really has been laying on my heart, giving me a burden for certain things that we need to remember as believers. I, you know, I think the, maybe the most difficult thing as a believer is keeping the important things in front of you all the time. Somehow they get pushed to the back, and we get busy or we get involved in whatever life uh, our li- happening in our lives, and so we push back those important things sometimes. How do we keep those out there? How do we remember those things? So many times in the Bible, God says over and over again to his people, remember, remember, remember. And so uh, God even encourages his people in Scripture to keep certain things out in front of you, be aware of those things because they're vitally important to our lives. And so as I began to pray about that, I just started a list of those things that really are, are vital that as believers we need to remember. And so it came up with about seven. It's kind of a good number, biblical number, isn't it? Seven. So one of those I want to share with you this morning, and that's remembering the Bible is indispensable in our lives. If, if you could take away things in your life that are irrelevant, a few years ago, Jack and I went through a downsizing process, sold our house and had a lot of stuff, and so we got rid of a lot of things. And at first, I thought it would really be difficult. 
Uh, you know, because it, oh, come on, you know, it takes us a while to accumulate all these things. And so we, we started out in an easy way. And so we told our kids, come by the house and get anything you want. You know, uh, get it uh, and, and, and take it with you. Uh, we've only got a certain amount of things that we're going to take. So anything else you come and get, you can have it. And they did that and they got some things. So that was pretty easy because that was, you know, relatively painless. It was going on down to the families and so, okay. But then it was all the other things that we had to get rid of. And, and that, but that downsizing process really caused us to think about what's really important. What we, we really need to think about, you know, what do we really have to have to, to, to really faithfully and fruitfully live our lives? And, and so I think that's an evaluation we all ought to do, not just on things, uh, but in, in, our, in our emotional, spiritual lives. Sometimes we need to do those examinations and remember those things that are important. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks to Timothy. Remember, Timothy's young in the faith, and Paul's training him to be a pastor, and uh, he's bringing him up in, in a way that he can be effective in the ministry. And so he begins to point out key things that Timothy is going to have to remember throughout his life if he's going to be an effective minister or pastor. And so he reminds him about the Word of God in chapter 3, about how important it is. He talks about some of the things that the Word of God does. It it helps us uh, in persecution or in our trials in life. The Word of God is a comfort to us, isn't it? You know, I've often told you guys that God sends sometimes these trials in our lives in a couple of different reasons. One of those reasons that he sends trials sometimes is to correct us. You remember... remember, um, uh, do, you, do you remember <coughs> Jonah? How that Jonah had kind of missed God's word, his calling for his life. And when, he, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah went in the opposite direction. And so what did he, get? he got caught up in, in one of these, these storms, these trials of correction. And, and, and what Jonah found out was is that it's much better to honor God's word. Uh, to to honor God, and so it was a, a time where God began to correct His life. Sometimes He does that for us, doesn't He? Uh, and, and sometimes it's just simply that He wants to grow us. That it's a time of perfection when God wants to grow us. You, you see that in Job's life. You know all that happened to Job. Job was a righteous man. He loved God. Uh, he he lived a godly life, but yet all these things began to happen to him. You know, God wasn't trying necessarily to correct Job, but what he was trying to do is to even perfect Job's faith. And so Job went through all these things, all these things that he went through. And, and in all those, in whether it was Jonah's life or whether it was Job's life, the Word of God was, was prominent in their stories to bring them to the place where God wanted them to be. And so one of the things that we, we need to remember is the Word of God will, it, it will help us in our tri- times of struggle, uh, in, in those times of difficulty. Uh, another thing that he, that he brought out, that it exposes deception and builds our faith. See, the Word of God really uh, separates fact from fiction, <laughs> uh, truth from untruth. And Paul wanted Timothy to remember that. Timothy, you have to remember that when it comes to discerning our culture or our times that we live in or the things that we're hearing in our ears and our minds, 
The only thing that can really reveal whether that's true or not is the Word of God. It's when we take it and set it alongside the Word and see how it measures up. He reminded them also that uh, we need to, that, that the Word of God can make us wise unto salvation. You see, it's the message of the gospel that brings us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right, if we hadn't heard, how, how many of us, if we hadn't heard that Jesus Christ died for our sins, if I hadn't heard for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, I wouldn't know that I was a sinner. Uh, if I hadn't heard the wages of sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, I wouldn't know that my sin separates me from God. If I hadn't heard, but... God demonstrated his own love toward me and that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. I wouldn't have known that God loved me despite my sin and gave up his life for me. If I hadn't heard that he took my sin and gave me his righteousness, how would have I have known that I was unrighteous, that I was a sinner? And so the Scripture is the very thing that makes us wise unto salvation. Now the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and he illuminates, he gives us understanding. And so Paul reminds Timothy, hey, it, it'll make you wise into salvation. In other words, you'll know your Savior through his word. Uh, it increases our faith in Christ Jesus, doesn't it? The Bible says about itself, faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. And so the Bible is indispensable in our lives as believers. And if we remember that, then we remember a great thing. Listen to what he says, verse chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for the instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the indispensability of the Word of God in our lives. Pray with me if you would, and let's come back and we'll think about what Paul says. Father in heaven, thank you today for your eternal Word. Thank you today, Lord, that your Word is founded in heaven, that it's settled in heaven, that its truth always has been and will continue always to be. Thank you that you've given us this great word, the Bible. That we can have confidence in the power and the strength of your word, the faithfulness of your word. Lord, I pray that you will open our minds and hearts this morning to receive this word. That we'll be hearers, as James says, and doers as well. That we'll respond what you have to say this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul begins in verse 16 with uh, just a direct statement of fact. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You see, the Bible is authentic. Uh, it's, it's the real thing. It's the real deal. You know, we talk about authenticity in the world today and about what that means. And, you know, if you, I, sometimes I like to watch some of these shows on television like uh, uh, American Pickers, if you guys ever seen that, or Pawn Stars. And one of the things, they find a valuable item. They want to know what its providence is. 
In other words, where it started and how it got to where it is today. Uh, You see, Paul gives us in a real simple statement the providence of the Bible. He says it started with God and God has preserved it. And what we have today is the fact that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it's the real thing. It's authenticated by God himself. And so we can have confidence in his providence uh, that uh, the word of God is the word of God. First of all, if you look at what he says, there's the, the, the parameters of inspiration. In other words, he says all Scripture. That's important for us to realize. You know, scholars have come up with uh, different uh, labels and things for uh, how the Bible was inspired. But uh, one of those statements and what we believe is Baptist is, is the idea of verbal plenary. In other words, all words and all parts of the Bible are inspired. That every word and every part of the Bible has been inspired by God. And, and so it's trustworthy because of that. So when Paul says all Scripture, he's talking about all Scripture. He's talking about from Genesis 1-1 uh, to the end of Revelation. Uh, and so we can be confident that it's the Word of God. That it's not just, it doesn't just contain the Word of God but that it's all the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so the parameters of the Bible are that we can trust it all. We don't have to worry or we don't have to try to discern uh, what, what's uh, not true or what is true because we know that what we have is the truth of God. We need to realize that and, and trust that as believers. So he reminds us of the parameters. What, what, how much of this is the Word of God? All of it is. All of it's the Word of God. Now, he goes on and he talks about the fact, he says it's given by inspiration of God. You see, there's the process of inspiration uh, that the Scripture defines and that we need to understand as well. Uh, the word inspired means to be, it means God breathed. That God breathed. It's the breath of God. The Bible is alive. Do you remember another place in Scripture where the Bible talks about God breathed? How about Genesis 2-7? Where the Bible says that he formed Adam from the dust of the earth. And after he had formed Adam, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living creature. So God's Word is divine. it's, It's alive because God has given it life. And so he's inspired. Now, the process of inspiration is really the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was overseeing the writing of the revelation of God in the sense that God gave us what, exactly what he wants us to know. Now, listen, God is, is, is engaged in all this process. Uh, listen to what Peter says, For prophecy never came. By the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's saying is that God used these men, he, he, and, but he used them uniquely in the sense that it's not, the Bible wasn't given by dictation, but it was given by inspiration. And so God didn't tell these guys, write this word, and next write this word, and next write this word. But what he did, he used their own story, their own life. He, he used their, their personality. Uh, he used their language that they spoke in. He, he, he used those things 
their vocabulary. And in all that, God was there moving them along to come out with the product, the message, the revelation that God, exactly that God wanted. Now listen, the Bible says he started with holy men of God. Men that were committed, men that knew God, men that understood. And then he began through the Holy Spirit to inspire them uh, to record the things that we have in our Bible today. So there's that sense of inspiration. Inspiration is divine guidance. It's overseeing the biblical authors. God ensures that his truth is the product of what they recorded accurately and without error. And so I can happily say to you today that what we have, you can have confidence in. You can trust the Word of God. When the Word of God collides with the issues of life today, do, do you know what the real truth is? It's the Bible. When, when the Word of God is criticized by unbelievers, do you, do you know who's, who's right and who's wrong? It's the Word of God. And we certainly can have confidence in that very thing. And so there was this process of inspiration that God, through His Holy Spirit, moved in the lives of the authors of the Bible to, to bring about the very message, the truth, the principles that we have in our, our Bible today. And because of that, you and I can, we can say hallelujah because we've got something that we can hang our hat on, that we can rest our life on a foundation, that we can live on, and it's the foundation of truth. Listen, I'm excited about that. That process that God used to inspire and give us the Word of God. Now, you say, well, mm, I don't know about that. Uh, what about the proof? <laughs> is there any proof uh, that, that this Word is inspired? Is there any proof that the Bible is any different than any other book? Well, listen, <laughs> there's a lot of proof about the Bible being distinguished as the book of truth. One of those things is, is that if you look at the Bible and you do, do any real analysis of the Bible or historical background or looking in the Bible, not, not, not just the content of the Bible, but the story around the Bible, first of all, you find out if you look at it and examine it, that there's a unique unity in the Bible that's not anywhere else. It's, it, it's, it's amazing that, look, it's a, it's a, it's a library of 66 books all put together by 40 different authors uh, for over a period of 1,600 years, three different languages, written on three different continents, and it all comes together and it has one unifying message, and that message is redemption. Redemption. Started in Genesis. Goes all the way through Revelation. The message of redemption, one main character, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in Genesis. He's through the Bible all the way through the book of Revelation. It's a story whose main character is the Lord Jesus Christ. Got one main villain, <laughs> Satan, who has one certain outcome, destruction. And that's the story that the Bible gives to us. That's the account. God's revelation to us. Unity. And yet, sameness throughout the Bible. Another testimony of it is, 
is, is the Bible. You know, I've always been amazed by the transparency of the Bible. Uh, as you begin to read about the lives of people in the Bible, uh, the Bible just tells it like it is. I mean, it gives the ugly and it gives the beautiful. It gives the sinful and it gives the righteous stories of people's lives. It gives morality and immorality, victories and defeat. It, it, it gives celebrations and scandals and the good and the bad and everything. It's not complimentary whatsoever of humanity because humanity is sinful and fallen. And yet in all the transparency that the Bible gives, you know, if man were to look at the Bible and say, well, look, if I were going to worship a God, I'd only want to hear great things. I'd only want to hear the good. I would only want to hear the hope, not the despair. I would only want to hear about salvation and not possible eternal destruction. That's why man didn't write the Bible. Because man wouldn't write something like that. Only God would. And only God did. It's, it's transparency. is amazing. A- another thing about the Bible also is its indestructibility. I mean, you talk about a war on something. <laughs> we, we, we talk, you know, I've reading in history about the 40 years of war, and we thought, oh, man, that's a long time. Well, the Bible's been, <laughs> people have been at war with the Bible for thousands of years. I, I mean, it's, it's had critics and enemies and People who wanted to destroy it, they wanted to gather up every copy and burn it. They wanted to get rid of it. But yet, throughout history, God has preserved His holy word. And and let me tell you, that's a miracle. That God would do that, judging the enemies and the world powers throughout history that's tried to destroy the Bible. It's lasted. It's durability. It's been there. It, it It has and it always will be. A testimony to God's favor, God's blessing that He would preserve this great book for us. Another area is His prophecy, isn't it? I mean, how accurate is the Bible, right? I mean, when you read in the Old Testament prophecies that were hundreds of years uh, unfulfilled until a certain time in history, they were fulfilled. Uh, I, I think there's 17 specific prophecies about Israel becoming a great nation. And you say, well, wait a minute, there was a thousand years or so that Israel wasn't even a nation, but it is now. It is now, and that's prophetic. Uh, there's prophecies about other nations as well, Edom and Egypt and Babylon. And, and, and listen, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece and Rome are the heart of Daniel's prophecies. And it frustrates unbelievers that Daniel was so accurate hundreds of years before these things happen. Oh, and then there's Jesus. And all those prophecies in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about the coming of the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amazing. The number of prophecies that the Bible reveals and shows in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years. Everything from His birth to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, to how he'd be received in Israel. And all those things were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, how many more prophecies are not fulfilled yet, but that will be, that you and I are looking forward to. And all these things testify 
to the uniqueness of the Bible, that it is God's Word. You're not going to be confident in it, uh, that it is His Word. And then, hey, if that's not enough, there's archaeology, right? I, I mean, how about, a spe- you know, there's, there's a time, right now, in the last 10, 15 years, there's been an explosion in archaeological finds in Israel. It seems like every time they put the, sh- the shovel in the ground and turn something over, there's another thing about the Bible that they find. But in all those things that they've discovered recently or in generations past, all those things testify to the truthful accuracy of the Bible. There was a guy, uh, 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 archaeologist by, uh, by the name of uh, W.F. Albright. He was a generation ago. And he, he'd written about 800 articles that had to do with specific discoveries in archaeology about the Bible. And all 800 publications authenticated what the Bible said. Amen. I mean, it continues to prove the Bible. It's dug up by the spade and shovel. Uh, there's the Bible's influence. <laughs> I mean, you, you can look at the and The Bible has an influence. It enrages its enemies. And it empowers those who believe in it. It changes lives. The Word of God has the power to change a life. It, it's, it's those truths and those principles in the Word of God that really become the very foundation of our, our discipleship and our following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus told his disciples, if you're my disciples, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free, the power of the Word of God. And then, you know, there's the accuracy about the Word of God. It's, it's just right. No matter what it speaks about, you know, thousands of years ago, the Bible spoke to scientific things that weren't discovered until gener- maybe, you know, a thousand years later. Uh, Job talked about the fact that the earth is suspended in the atmosphere. And, and that was thousands of years ago. Isaiah just happened to mention the fact that the earth is a circle, a sphere. And for a thousand plus years until that was verified. Uh, we're not flat earthers because <laughs> the Bible says we shouldn't be. Uh, reading a story about the accuracy of the Bible in, in history in the, four, in the 14th century of the plague devastated the, the population of the earth. Over a fourth of the population were killed. Killed. And, and it wasn't until they found a passage in Leviticus that talked about separating people with sores that they understand the idea of isolating people that are sick. Which helped this plague leave. The Bible's accurate. No matter what subject it speaks to, whether it's science or whether it's psychology or whether it's history, the Bible is accurate and when it speaks. And so we can trust the Word of God. We have proof that the Bible is the real deal, that it's authentic. Well, move on with me just a little bit in verse 16. Not only is the Bible authentic, but the Bible is authoritative. In other words, when it speaks, it speaks with power and authority. After all, it's from God. It has authority, especially to the church and to believers. <coughs> and Paul goes on and says uh, in, in verse 16, he says, uh, the Word of God 
that, that God gave us the word, that he inspired the word, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. The word profitable mean, means that it has an advantage. That if we're in the word of God, that we have an advantage over everyone else that's not. So it's advantageous for you and I to spend time in the Word of God. It's like an investment. We like investments. We like return on our investment. Well, the more we stay in the Word of God, the more return that we're going to have, the more valuable that's going to become. And so Paul gives some areas that, it, that it's advantageous for, and one of those is doctrine. Now, now doctrine is that word that we as believers understand. It's the teaching of the Bible, right? It's those collective things that are threaded through the Bible that becomes the foundation of our faith. In other words, we know God because there's the doctrine of God in the Bible. We know about the Trinity because the doctrine of the Trinity is in the Bible. We know about salvation because the doctrine of salvation is in the Bible of whatever the, we're teaching on, our authority comes from the Scripture. Because it's profitable for doctrine. Our Christian faith is built on the Bible and what the Bible says. Uh, and so we, we, we just trust that. He talks about reproof. Reproof's kind of interesting. It's, it's an idea of discernment or warning. When we get reproved, we get warned. Listen, when God says, I t- don't go there, he's reproving us. Or don't do that, he's reproving us, right? How, how many times your mom and dad said, if you do that, you're going to regret it. You know, the Word of God says that sometimes, that if you do that, you'll regret it. Don't go there. So it reproves us in the sense that it, it, it warns us. It challenges our thinking about subjects and about issues. You see, it, it puts our trial and our, thought, our thoughts on trial. right? And it puts them to the test. And so we need that. Correction. And correction here, the word's kind of, it's, it's a nautical term. It means that, you, you know how when, when a ship's captain takes the compass and, and, and he figures out the, the course and he charts it and uses the sextant to see if he's on, and, and he's got certain coordinates that he wants to be at, and, and then what happens with a ship? You know, we kind of wind blows a little stronger, or the waves change, you move back and forth, and so what, what happens? You drift off course. How many times have a believer that you've woken up Falling asleep at the wheel and you've drifted off course. What's the, you know, we've got cars that warn us now, don't we? When we close our eyes, they, they, they beep so we can correct our course. And we have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God who sounds those alarms that we need to correct our course. We need to get back on course. That's why the Bible is indispensable. No other book, no other thing can do that for us other than the Bible. He talks about not only correction, but instruction. It's the idea of training. We need to be trained. What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, endure hardship as a good soldier. What do soldiers do? They train. They have field manuals. They have training schedules. They do all that training that's based on understanding. Where do we get our understanding from? It comes from the Word of God. The Word of God ought to train us. To go out and be good soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible is so indispensable. Because when it speaks to life or when it speaks on anything, it speaks with authority. It's not suggestive, but it's compulsive. It's authoritative. Well, 
And then finally, the Bible is active. Listen to what Paul says. He says, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What causes you and I to be complete and equipped? The Word of God active in our lives. You see, the, the, it, it completes the believer. Why do the believer need, why do we need our lives completed? Because there's something missing. We don't, we don't have what we need fully. And so what does the Word of God do? It comes along and it makes you and I competent or it makes us proficient in the things of God. It adds to what we need. We're born, the Bible says, like children spiritually. And what do children need to do? They need to grow. And so we're always in this process of growing as believers. Well, what, what guides that growth or what fills in those gaps of growth? It's the Word of God. Peter compared it to milk and meat. It's the food for our soul that can help us to grow and mature in our faith. And then he talks about the fact that it equips every believer. In other words, if, if we need to be equipped, then what does that say? We don't have what it takes. <laughs> I'm sorry. But on our own, individually, we don't have what it takes to serve God and to live this Christian life. But So what does the Word of God do? It furnishes what we need. It complements what we don't have. It, 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 it in, enlightens us on the information that we need how to live godly. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we transform our minds? Through the Word of God. Right? What happens when we transform, our minds are being transformed by the Word of God, is that now we can attest to the perfect, good, and acceptable, and perfect will of God. So if we want to be walking in the will of God, apart from the Word of God, it's impossible. That's why the Bible is indispensable in our lives today. We need to remember that. Remember that the Bible is indispensable. Let me challenge you with something this week. 14 days, right? 14-day challenge. We, we diet for 14 days. We do this for 14 days. How about this? How about if we just, do, we just make this covenant? That for 14 days, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And I'm going to take one thing that I read or that I read. And I'm going to take that one thing and I'm going to, I'm going to decide what it means. And then I'm going to decide how I can take that one truth this, that particular day. And how I can live that truth at least once that day. Now let me give you an example. Suppose you're reading 1 Corinthians 13. Right? And verse 4 says, it says that, that love is patient. Or King James says long-suffering. Patient. Love is patient. So I've read that truth. I understand what patience is. Uh, and so I'm going to go to work today. And I'm going to, I'm going to take one occasion... Where I'm just, I'm, if, it, if it kills me, I'm going to be patient. Maybe with a coworker, 
Might be with a family member. Maybe something. But I'm just going to do one act of patience. It's going to be one thing. One thing. And do that. Let's 14 days. One truth. One understanding. One obedience. And see how the Word of God helps change our lives. You see, the Bible is so indispensable in life. Paul went on to tell Timothy in chapter 4. Listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's calling down the big guns, isn't he? He says, Timothy, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you, I'm charging you before God, the Father, and God the Son. He says in verse 2, he says, preach the word. Proclaim the word. That's how indispensable that it is. Paul said, Timothy, above anything else, share the word. Share the word. Listen, if that's so important, shouldn't we, shouldn't we fixate ourselves on the Word of God? It's indispensable. As believers, we must remember that the Word of God is indispensable. Bow with me if you want. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so very thankful today that we have a reliable, an understandable revelation of exactly what you want us to know about you, about ourselves, about the world that we live in today, and about the future of things to come. Lord, help us to see that these truths, these principles, are absolutely indispensable in our lives today. Help us to remember that, to keep that always in front of us, how important the Bible is. Father, I ask you to do this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning to stand together, if you would, as we close our service today. You know, the, the Bible really is our beginning and really our middle and end. I, I mean, it starts with whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. Doesn't it? Isn't that where our relationship with Christ started? It's believing what God revealed about Himself. You know, when you came to Jesus Christ, it might have been because a friend witnessed to you. He said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what He's done for me. But I'll guarantee you that somewhere along the way, someone shared with you about sin and about how sin separates you from God. But how Jesus came and died for your sins. And how that through that gift, God gives us eternal life. And how that we have to believe on that gift, accept it from, from Christ. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. He says, and it's a gift of God. God offers all of us salvation, but we have to receive that gift. If you've never received that gift of Jesus Christ as your Savior, gift of eternal life, of salvation, of forgiveness, then this morning you can reach out in faith. And you can embrace that gift, receive it, and God will give you a brand new life this morning. If you're here and that decision's been thinking about that, then I encourage you, why not make that decision this morning? Uh, Come up front, talk to me after the service, it doesn't matter. Uh, But make that decision to believe in Jesus Christ. If you're not sure 
about whether or not you're saved or you're a Christian, and then please, let me encourage you to make that decision. Make it sure that you know Jesus is your Savior. You, you may be here today, and, and, and really, you hadn't intended to, but you know, life's kind of gotten in the way, and you pushed the Word of God back over the side. After all, we only have 24 hours, right, in a day. And about 23.9% of those hours have maybe been taken up something else. But you really want to make the Word of God a priority in your life. Just tell Him this morning. Say, Jesus, I, I know that the Bible is indispensable. And I am going to make it a priority in my life. Make that decision today. As you, as you do that, God helps with our choices like that. I encourage you to do that. We're going to sing a verse or so of invitation. You want to come and just kneel here at the altar and pray. You can do that. Uh, But uh, I just encourage you to hear him this morning.